What time is it? Hello and welcome to the Bible Dig Godcast, a fun-filled exploration of archaeology and the Bible. And now, here are your hosts, author J.S. Earls and attorney Peter A. Papoutsis. Let's jump right in and get back to part two of our episode on giants of men and myth. And And again... Philo himself, Philo of Alexandria, who was, a, uh, I believe, a contemporary of Josephus and, um, and many think was also a contemporary of St. John, uh, states in his book, Questions and Answers on Genesis, book one, and this is point number 92, and this is around the year 50 AD, and he says, These giants were sprung from a combined procreation of two natures, namely from angels and mortal women, but sometimes Moses styled the angels the sons of God, the Benai Elohim. So that's Philo. So this is so this is the ancient belief of the ancient people, the ancient church before the fifth century that thought that the that the sons of God, the Benai Elohim, Yututhu, were the actual angels, and that they saw these women, found them sexually appealing, came down. Had intercourse with them and produced these these uh, nephilim, these giants, and you know we we only have four verses in the book of Genesis, but out of those four verses, First Enoch creates an entire book out of those four verses, right? <laughs> and it becomes very, very fantastic, fanciful. Um, you have angels with 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 many different names, some of them which we actually know. Um, some that we don't know. Um, well, they have, and, yeah. It gets. I don't know if it's in First Enoch, but where it where it gets into the uh, like outer space too, where it talks yeah, about where yeah. God having angels positioned over, you know, with authority over specific uh, suns and yeah. stars and and different things. Uh-huh, and yeah. that's actually a good point that you bring up because there's a the 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 ancient Jewish and Christian belief is that every nation. Uh, uh, either has uh, an angel or a demon over it, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and in fact, the ancient Jews uh, believe that the gods of all the pagan nations were demons. Okay, and uh, and but and you know, is there support in the Bible for that? And the answer is yes, there is. If you go to Psalm ninety six, uh, which I'm sorry, it's Psalm ninety five in the Greek Bible, the Septuagint, Psalm ninety six in the Hebrew Bible. In the original Hebrew, Psalm 96, verse 5, it says that all the gods of the heathens are nothing. They're worthless. They're vain, meaning there's nothing there. They're empty. That's the original Hebrew, uh, which we, in many of our English translations, uh, give it a gloss of they're idols. But the actual translation is that they're nothing. They're ungods. They're fake. Right. It's, 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 you know, nothing there. By the time you get to the Septuagint, the the Jews interpreted that. What did the Jews understand at the time of the uh, at, at, during Hellenistic times? What Psalm ninety six five meant? Well, if you go into the Septuagint, it says, "All the gods of the heathens are demons. All the gods of the heathens, or all the gods of the nations, are devils." This, as some translations have it, of the Septuagint. 
And then the Septuagint, that's, that's, that's Psalm 95, verse 5. In the Hebrew, it's Psalm 96, verse 5. So in the original Hebrew, it just says that the, the, the gods of the nations are just ungods or nothing. They're fake. They're phony. They're empty. They're vain. But by the time you get to the Septuagint, which is, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of years later, the Hellenistic Jews understood that verse to mean that not that the gods of the heathens were fake, were nothing, which they were because you're not going to worship them, but that they were more evil than that. They were more wicked than that, that they were actual demons, that the gods of the heathens were demons. So the Septuagint interprets, doesn't translate, interprets Psalm 96.5 from nothingness to demons. Yeah, and well, and I was also going to bring up, like you uh, said, and this is uh, in Daniel 10.13, where it says, uh, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Uh, but this is where uh, Gabriel was trying to come to Daniel, I believe. And it says, uh, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, uh, so by the, by saying the two princes here, you're kind of thinking, you know, angels, or you can even think a demon or whatever, but kind of like you're saying that they're yes. established over, over an area. Then Michael, one of the chief princes came to me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And, Correct. Uh, Correct. So Correct. They, and, and, the, and with the language, the way it's being done there, it's basically Im, Im, implying angelic um, kind of authority and positions. Correct. Correct. So those are the two positions in the church. The majority opinion, which is the one that we talked about at the outset, which is that it's the godly line of Seth, and then the minority position, which is that it's actual angels, the fallen angels. I will add that the that that the thing that the minority or fanciful position uses to support or to bolster their position is in the book of Job, chapter one, where uh, it has the 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 sons of God coming before God in a great council, and then Satan comes in, you know, talks with God and says, you know, have you seen my servant Job? You know, I think he's a righteous man. And then Satan says, well, why don't you just give him over to me, and I'll see, and I'll show you how righteous he is. Hopefully, as Christians, we all know the story that followed afterwards. But what's interesting is if you back up, when it says, and the sons of God presented themselves before God, the Hebrew says, "Banai Elohim." Same thing as in Genesis chapter 6, Benai Elohim. Same thing in the Septuagint, Yututhu. Uh, so you have this linguistic correlation between Genesis and Job, with Job saying, yeah, what Benai Elohim or the sons of God means is the angelic host. It can't mean anything else. Well, yeah, yeah, it can mean something else. We can't really be tied into thinking that just because one expression is used in one part of the Bible, it has to be the same thing that's used in the other part of the Bible. No, not necessarily true. Because what about the sons of Israel or the children of Israel? Right. You know, uh, that's, that's a verse that could, that could be taken a, 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 a few different ways, especially between the Old and the New Testament. What I'm saying to you is you can't use the book of Job to say, well, if, if the term Benai Elohim is used here, it's got to mean the same thing over in Genesis. Why? I, I don't know why. Tell me why. Because it's linguistically the same expression? Okay. I, I'm not saying that it's not plausible, because obviously we've seen Philo and Josephus. And by the way, ancient church fathers like uh, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Origen, Irenaeus of Lyon. So these are all guys, both Jewish and Christian, that did believe in the minority of position that the sons of God were the angels of God that came down and had sexual relations with women and produced 
these giants, these these giganti or these nephilim, these fallen ones. But like I said, when you get to the fifth century, Ambrose, Augustine, and then from then on, the majority position of the church was this was the godly line of Seth that corrupted itself, merging with non-believers, i.e., the daughters of men, and having offspring that didn't believe in God, and in fact were anti-God, were were wicked and evil, and so forth. My own opinion, and this is again Peter's opinion, I believe that the majority opinion makes perfect sense. If you read the Torah from Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy, uh, it is my opinion that that majority opinion or consensus opinion fits much better theologically, linguistically, and culturally in the Torah than the fanciful opinion. That's just me. Other people can disagree. I did want to touch on what you were just saying, yes. because um, just because it's a different way, because we always think of the giants as being these impressive things, but yet like realistically, historically, uh, most of the people uh, that have been giants that we actually have verified evidence of, most of them uh, suffer from what we call gigantism or, or, or multiple different things, and they actually have a lot of physical problems, and they even uh, their, their bones don't necessarily carry their height and weight that well, and, and, uh, but they have all these problems. Like, I guess I was thinking that they were more monstrous that that it was more more of a perversion what what if because of that spirituality and because of the bad influence that it was more and I hate to use this term because it doesn't sound very good but uh more freakish in nature than than like oh these are these gi- right. giant you know super impressive athletes or whatever you know maybe they were just more uh terrifying that it's not just oh they're they're tall but they're also the kind of different looking that they're messed up genetically or you know yes yes whatever yes. um because of you know what's however they're being affected there is a there is a obviously that well not obviously but yes the 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 position that does say that the nephilim are the offspring of angels and of human women do say that there was a corrupting of the gene pool right that there was a um a destruction of the genetic basis of humanity when this happened. Some people say that that's where we get all these, you know, chimeras in history. You know, like you know, half man, half animal, uh, half half man, half bird. That that what we read among the Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans and the other Middle Eastern pagan people, a physical representation of the genetic mixturing and corrupting of both man and beast. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, First Enoch does talk about that. Not directly. It, you have to infer it from the text, but it's a very strong inference that there was a mixing, a mixing between animal and, and, and humanity. I would say that that's talking about the prohibition against bestiality. Yeah. But, but I can also see where the people that believe in the giant hypothesis that it was a genetic mixing of both humans and animals at that time that gave us the like the myth of the minotaur you know half man half bull in uh, crete so you know there's so they're saying that this genetic mixture was an abomination it was a perversion again it does fit into the overall message of the torah that you can't mix the divine with the with the with the with the base i get that but they're taking it to a whole other level where they're saying there was genetic mixture now how that genetic mixture happened, I don't know. They don't really get into that, meaning Skiba and Marzuli and Horn and all the others. Um, was it spiritually based? Was it uh, some form of, of high technology that is now lost, i.e. 
you know, Atlantis or whatever. <laughs> UFOs. <laughs> UFOs. Uh, you know, because now you're going off into the fanciful, man. And and as much as I want, and I do give respect these these Christian men, and they are Christian men. I, I don't know anything about them being, you know, uh, apostates. They are Christian right. men. Um, I, I, you know, now you're going off into like the really fanciful, fantastic stuff that, you know, well, who did the mixing? Well, it was the it was the Nephilim. Well, who are the Nephilim? Are they the children of the fallen? Well, who are the well, who are the, the 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 angels of God? Well, they're they're spirit beings from another dimension. That's Ellie Marzuli's take that these are spirit beings from another dimension. And I'm like, okay, uh, you know, yeah, okay, I can see that. Maybe I can accept that. Um, but it is fanciful, and and I have a, and I have a hard time. I have a hard time, you know, dealing with that. <laughs> you don't you don't sound very convinced that you can believe that, but. Well, I'm trying to show respect to, to, to fellow Christian brothers here. I'm yeah. not trying to yeah. to degrade them in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, look, they have a large following. You know, Skiba and Marzuli and Horn, they have a very large following. So I'm not going to disparage them because of these beliefs. And, you know, and again, when we come to Marzuli, L.A. Marzuli, I mean, his videos are out there on YouTube and Vimeo and all that. And he's the guy that found, and this is, gets back to like Bible dig now. You know, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so this is the archaeological portion of Ellie Marzuli. I think it was maybe even five years ago now, because it's 2018. Went out to Catalonia Island, which is an island off the coast of L of uh, California, L.A., Los Angeles. It's about a 15 minute, 20 minute ferry ride from California to Catalonia Island. Beautiful island. If you ever get a chance, go on vacation there. But there's a museum there. You know, the the Catalonian Museum and. I, I don't remember the particulars of it. L.A. Marzulli actually gets into it, where he went into the archives of the Catalonian Museum and found all of these old black and white photographs of some archaeological digs that were being done on Catalonia Island. Well, he found a photograph, and it's true. It's out there. It's on the Internet. It's, a, it's an authentic photograph. Nothing's been doctored about it, where there was this archaeologist on Catalonia Island back in 1900, 1901, something like that. And he excavated this huge skeleton that, if you were to uh, bring it up to scale, would be almost like nine feet tall. This was a nine-foot-tall skeleton, maybe 8.7, 8.5 feet, but a nine-foot – but okay, let's round it off to nine foot or even 8.5. It's still a tall dude, okay? And, I, and we're not talking just tall lengthwise, but we're also talking you know, in every other proportion. Big bones, uh, big hands, big chest, every, everything. I mean, this guy was huge. Well, and and just real quick, the tallest person verified on record is eight foot eleven, and so I mean that yeah. that yeah. is practically there, um, right. in height. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you so and now here's the other thing: if, if this was just a case of of um, you know, some medical condition that makes these people be tall like this, then why did the Catalonian Museum uh, crop the picture? Why did the Catalonian Museum hide the picture? You know, because when you go to the Catalonian Museum, you'll actually see the picture of the guy uh, at his archaeological site. But all you see is this archaeologist, you know, with his leg raised on a mound, right. you know, giving, giving, a pose, giving a pose. And you're like, well, that's a nice picture. But why is it there? They don't want people worshiping giants. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, right. The Catalonian 
museum is is worried about people not worshiping giants. But the bottom part of that picture, which they cropped, is this picture of this huge skeleton that's like almost nine feet tall. And 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 L.A. Marzulli was was lucky enough at the time to to snap a picture, and it's a legitimate picture. Uh, it's not a hoax. Uh, I've seen it. You've probably seen it. A lot of people can see it on the internet. And so the so it begs the question: Why would the Catalonia Museum not release the full picture? Why would they only give half of the picture, crop the the bottom part of the picture? And you know that 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 feeds into the the whole uh, you know tinfoil hat conspiracy theory that there are a lot of uh, uh, gigantic skeletons out there, and I believe even the the History Channel did a uh, um, a episode on giants where they went through and they looked through history and they right. were trying to link certain archaeological sites to um, to the giants. They even talked to L. A. Marzulli. The L. A. Marzulli actually uh, relates a story on his uh, on his uh, 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 podcast or video thing where they came to him. And L.A. was like, well, not so fast, guys. I want to make sure you don't like distort what I'm saying because I'm a Christian, and I want to make sure that I'm giving this from a Christian perspective. And so when you actually see the the, the, histori- the History Channel uh, episode uh, on the Giants that has L.A. Marzulli, it's like really quick, a little snippet where he just says, you know, hey, yeah, I believe these are Giants, and then ends it like that. He doesn't even get into the Christian aspect or the biblical aspect or anything like that. Right. So, so. Yeah, there is archaeological evidence out there, not physical. It's photographic. Uh, the History Channel actually tried to uh, create a theory saying that these giants were this third group of humans or hominids, not humans, but hominids or human-like people called Denisovians or Disovians or whatever. There's Homo sapiens sapiens, which is us, Neanderthals, which... I guess is me, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, and then the the Denisovians, and 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 the Denisovians are a very brand new fo- uh, fossil find. I think they found them in China or India or something. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so they're trying to go off and say that the giants may have come from this third human-like uh, race of people, but there's no evidence for it. There really isn't any evidence for it. You know, when you see these things happen, it's kind of hard not to say, well, if this stuff is all bunk, then why didn't you just release the full photograph? Why didn't you just show us the full skeleton? And so when you hide stuff like that, when the Catalonian Museum hides stuff like that by cropping it, it gives credence, in my humble opinion, to the to the giant hypothesis of Marzulli and Skiba and Horn and all the rest. Well, yeah. And well, I think, and the Smithsonian has been guilty of this too, is just that yep. they want to be respected. So they just want to ignore it they want to avoid and avoid it it's it's not it's i i would say and especially from people who really research this uh i know the easy thing to say oh this is great this conspiracy but it's really more about pride and reputation uh and why that they don't want to be associated with those things and i i I was just going to say too one of the things with the i don't know if this is the same one but the the recently found uh Supposed giants in China um, were yes yes you you got to be careful because they'll say giants and it's kind of a relative term it really depends the giants there now I mean most of the men were around five foot tall 
in that area of China. And the ones that were found there, these ancient ones, were like six feet, three inches tall. Now, that's impressive if, if, if most of the men are only, you know, if they, if they had an army and, and you have the more modern men and other men that were there, uh, they were only five feet tall and they're going against these people who are a foot or more taller than them. But, I mean, by most right. standards, like we wouldn't look at that and say six feet, three inches. Really, that's a that's a giant. But there's also uh, like even because um, some people have said stuff about the, the the giants in like West Virginia and other other yes, things. Yes, and, yes. And uh, but most of those that um, even the ones that they've listed, not ones that have been supposedly lost or whatever, but even ones that they've listed, we're only like five five ten. Right. But yet the archaeologists labeled them as giants. And I don't right. know if it was in comparison to, well, the people, well, the average males were only 4'10 or whatever. But, you know, some archaeologists call, you know, consider 5'10 giants. Some archaeologists consider 7 to 8 feet tall giants. Right. One of the things that gives me pause, like the percentage of giants that we have at this point after a few thousand years should be a lot higher. Right. You you know what I mean from like yes. if that was from that line that that should it should be a lot higher um, than where we're at now and I think uh, one of the things I read is that even in the like American history like in all the time uh, of America there's there's like less than a hundred cases or whatever um, you know and that includes like people coming here from other places right but. Right, like just just logically, uh, if it's really that, and that they would be spreading out from that line, and we're actually talking about the physical, you know, nature of of them being giants, it seems like we it should we should have a, a significantly growing, uh, you know, population or amount of giants, uh, in the in right. the world right. over, over this amount of time. Correct. Correct. That we don't that we don't have. Well, you know, you know the counter argument to that, right? Tell me. Well, there's two. The counter argument to that is, is that the 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 offspring, the Nephilim of the angels and the women, they, they there were a lot of them, but and they live very long lives, right? Uh, but they're sterile. Uh, they don't they don't get, they don't get to reproduce. Okay, it still doesn't explain how they survived the flood, necessarily, but they're sterile. Okay, that's no that's theory number one. Or that's conspiracy theory number one. Right. Uh, uh, conspiracy number conspiracy theory number two, which uh, I've heard some people say. I've never heard Marzuli or Skiba or Horn say this. I've I've heard other people say this. Um, just generally, is that uh, that they, because that they're because they they're they're. they're fathers, the angels, were interdimensional beings, they live in other dimensions. They right. don't live in our dimension. But do they send child support? Well, only if they go to court. Oh. Only if they go to court. <laughs> they have to go to the interdimensional child support court to get that ruling. <laughs> and that's a big deal. That is a big deal, yeah. it's it, To put it into modern lingo, that's huge. <laughs> um you know, and now, but also they can, but they also there's a third theory which is a little bit more credible, but it's still up there in conspiratorial land, which is they say, hey, you don't see Bigfoot around all over the place, you don't see the Yeti around right. all over the place, you don't see the the uh, the the chubacabra down in Mexico all over the place. These are 
beings that hide in plain sight, but there's a lot of them. Okay, well, the the problem with that theory, you're assuming that these are all real beings. You're assuming that there's a Bigfoot and a Yeti and a Chupacabra when there is no evidence for these things. But even if there was evidence for these things, uh, it goes back to what you were saying before. They should be all over the place. We should be bumping into Bigfoot every time we go into any uh, of the 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 back roads of, I don't know, Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, whatever. So there should be giants all over the place. If, the, if this was a, 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 a regular phenomenon, according to this giant theory, they should be all over the place. Even if they somehow survived the flood through ham and were of a reduced stature, they should still be all over the place. Yes, yes. Now, the, okay, so now, so here's the thing, um, to go back to Josephus, where he talks about the connection between the the um, the Nephilim and the gods of the Greeks. I I, I told uh, Jeff before we got on here that there was a there was a practice in. Um, oh, yeah. uh, during, this is fascinating. Yeah, during during ancient Greek times, that when when the Greeks were were worshiping the Greek gods, you know, they would have their temples to Zeus and Apollo and Athena and Aphrodite and all that, and they would have their altars and all that. But in their altars or in their temples dedicated to these gods. They would have, according to, you know, um, um, just various Greek writers, and from what we were able to to just keep as Greek people through our culture, that we would have the bones of the Titan, that we would have the bones of these giants, uh, the that that we called Titans or Giganti, uh, in our actual altars to say. See, this altar dedicated to Zeus is an authentic altar. Our our pagan religious faith is authentic because we have this big bone of this god of, a, of a dead god of a dead god <laughs> of a dead god uh, uh, or the dead god's uh, child, the right. Nephil, or the giant, the the Giganti, uh, which Josephus says. Well, yeah, that's the link. The Greek gods are the are the Nephilim, um, and and the Greeks obliged because the. You know where yeah. Josephus was coming from. That was this ancient Greek pack practice of having these bones of these of these giants, these titans, in our in our ancient pagan temples, in our ancient pagan altars, and we were bringing them out and showing them and say, "Look, this is a huge look at that look at that big bone. That that was a giant's leg or something, an arm." Well, what people have theorized over the years, because this practice did happen, we do know that this was happening. Is that uh, what they were actually finding were like dinosaur bones uh, or, you know, dinosaur remains. And they were mistaking them for, you know, in their in their pagan belief as the bones of these, you know, titans, these fallen. Fred Flintstone's steak. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know, among Greek people, Greek Christian people, is this still a a belief that, that there's some type of tie in between the Greek gods of old and. Then the Nephilim of chapter 6 of Genesis, yeah, it's still there. Like I was telling you beforehand, there's this periphery belief, uh, uh, like a, like a, like a, almost like a village belief that that's where it came from. And I'm, try- I'm, not tr- I'm not denigrating my own people in any way, shape, or form by saying that. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, can, you, could see, you could see where this comes from. Uh, uh, the, the, the best example I can give is like the old, um, the old uh, uh, vampire beliefs. Or yeah. the the old werewolf beliefs, you know, and I I said I I used to say this to my wife when we were first dating, and she was like, "Wow, that's very fascinating information. That's kind of worthless, <laughs> but thank you for letting me know." But 
uh, so like in the ancient, so like in the old villages in the Balkans, um, they would, um, you know, nobody was embalming people back then. If somebody died, they died. They wrapped them up. They buried them six feet under, and that was it. Um, but you know, whenever they would dig them up for whatever reason, uh, because they're not embalmed and they still have all of their bodily fluids, when your heart stops pumping. Guess what builds up into your lungs? Water and blood. And that will come out in your mouth and in, in, in your eyes and your ears. And so when the villagers were seeing these dead people with blood coming out of their uh, mouth, but yeah. they would be like, what is going on here? You know, and then, you know, they would start talking and, you know, the brain has to make up excuses to figure out what this is because, you know, they weren't doctors back then. They didn't know anything about pulmonary system not working and blood and everything coming out of your mouth. Uh, so they're like, oh, that guy, he's undead. He got up and he started like sucking the blood out of some of the, the surrounding animals and victims. And then, he, and then, you know, at the end of the day, because the sun was coming up, he needed to go back into his grave. And so that's what you're seeing. And so everybody's like, <gasps> you know, he's drinking vl- blood, uh, you know. Um, well, parents the, were probably using that as threats on the kids, too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like, you better behave or he's going to suck your blood. Man. Right, right. And so then the, the village belief came about that, well, okay, we got to keep them in the grave. How do we keep them in the grave? I got an idea. Let's take some wooden stakes, pound them into the body, and that will keep them in the grave and they won't come out. So now you can see where all of our modern myths of vampires came from, right. these old Vulcan uh, village beliefs. You know, that was taking a very basic medical condition that the body goes through when it dies and, you know, morphing it into this myth of vampirism. The other one is, is that, and unfortunately I have a, 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 a personal experiences, a personal experience with this is that, um, it's, I believe the technical medical name for it is hypertrichosis or hypo or hypertrichoserism. It just means that your body produces more hair than the average body produces. Unfortunately, I have that. Not on the top of my head, but I have it on my body. But in some people, your body engages in hypertrichosism to such a degree that your entire body is covered in hair. Okay, then there's two modern examples. Actually, a, a Renaissance example and a modern example. The Renaissance example is that there was an actual ancient noble family, I think somewhere in Germany or Bavaria or something, and they all had it. The dad had it. The the kids had it. Uh, you know, boys and girls, and you see these paintings, and they're actual family paintings of the dad and the kids looking like werewolves. They're covered. Right. In oh, yeah. Head to yeah. hair. Yep. Okay. The modern example of this is that if you go back and you can go on YouTube and watch this, a very old episode of, uh, I don't know if you remember this, uh, this uh, variety show called That's Incredible back in the 80s. Yep. Okay. Well, they did an episode of That's Incredible where they featured a Mexican acrobatic family you know this family made their living by being acrobats in a local, uh, a local i circus. vaguely remember yeah, this a yeah. circus down in in mexico and when they showed the kids the kids were like covered head to toe in hair and they look like werewolves they total look like werewolves like a classical werewolf you're a villager and you're looking at this noble family or this family or whatever let's say they're not even noble let's just say that they're family next door and they're covered right. in hair well, now your mind starts racing, and you're like, "I gotta make sense of all this." Oh, they, 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 they somehow a a wolf that was cursed by a local gypsy 
got them, and then they have this curse of werewolfism, and they turn into werewolves, uh, you know, every so often, or they shape, or they shapeshift, which is also the the basis for the myth of the shapeshifters, and um, and then the myth of the werewolf started. So, what's my point of bringing up all these stories? Good, good question. Yeah, the question, the the answer is, is that you're bringing out this big bone that says. Oh, this is the bone that we have to our Greek gods, the Titans or whatever of old. This is the legitimacy of our of our pagan faith. When in reality, it's probably a, a dinosaur bone, and they just didn't know what it was back then because they weren't uh, archaeologists or paleontologists or whatever, and didn't know about dinosaurs. And they said, "Well, that's the bone of a Titan," when it was really a dinosaur bone. So that was the point of the story: is that our minds try to make sense of things that later on, when we get better scientific and genetic knowledge, we figure out, yeah, yeah, it wasn't a vampire, it was just a dead body. It wasn't a werewolf, it was just a guy with a lot of hair that has a genetic condition. And it's not a big bone, it's a triceratops or a T-Rex that was in the area, and they thought it was the bone of a giant. That's well, the that's the, that's yeah. the theory out there, the belief. I'm not, I'm not bringing that up there to, to discredit this theory of the, the giant hypothesis, what I'm saying is that there's a rational basis to explain a lot of their findings. That's the knee-jerk first reaction we have is it's like, oh, giants, it has to be physical. Has to be, you know, that, that's our, our, our first reaction, especially for those of us that read it in English. Uh, you know, that, that's the way that we interpret that, especially when we see the word giant. Correct. As with anything, but I would say especially especially with the verses and things where in like you know even like the book of enoch and things where 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 it can where it can kind of be distracting and you can start to uh kind of uh get your eyes off the creator and more on the creation or different things or you get fascinated or even doing this research and be like oh this is so cool and and going through all this stuff um uh, you know make sure you keep your mind and 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 your heart in the right place that you know you that you're looking at it more of okay now what what is you know what's the message what what is this trying to show me um about god or or, or us and keep it focused on god and and don't be distracted and don't start worshiping uh these other things and a good way to know what you're worshiping is by how much time you spend doing something or devoting to it so if you're doing research for 48 hours or what it's like it's like okay yeah you might be getting a little obsessed and you might be worshiping <laughs> this this specific thing uh and you might need to to be a, get a little bit more balanced and, and come back more towards the the center um which right. the center right. for us is is always uh about god um on top of everything in our relationship with him I can give you a recommendation. Oh, I think this would be, and this, yeah, no, 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 a recommendation to, uh, to tie into what you were talking about, yep. which is to keep your focus on Jesus Christ. Um, the, 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 the reason why uh, in the gospel, according to St. Luke, we have the genealogy that St. Luke gives us. And, and, and for our purposes here today, uh, in what we said, to keep our focus on Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is, is it. Jesus Christ is actually in the Old Testament. I want people to understand that, is that when you read the New Testament, the vast majority of references in the New Testament um, that they use that are to support the Christian gospel, to support Jesus Christ, they're from the Old Testament. There was no New Testament scriptures. So they were finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And in fact, in the gospel according to St. Luke, that's why Luke has this genealogy 
which supports what St. Augustine was saying, what St. Ambrose was saying, what we were saying was the majority position, which is it's the godly line of Seth that Jesus Christ is in. It's that godly line that Jesus is a part of that shows us that from the very beginning, from Adam to Seth, all the way down to to the Virgin Mary, to Jesus, it's an unbroken godly line that leads to Jesus Christ. And everything that we read in the in the Old Testament leads us back to Christ. And, and again, to stay within the gospel according to St. Luke, if you read the very end of St. Luke, what does the end of, 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 of St. Luke, Luke's gospel say? Jesus is telling the people, the two people, while they were walking to Emmaus, you know, Jesus is in the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. Everything. The reason why we're doing Bible Dig, the reason why we're giving you all of this information is not just, hey, this is a great thing to listen to on a Friday night before I go to bed. No, this is to understand that the very center of all the scriptures, Hebrew scriptures, Christian scriptures, Hebrew Old Testament, Greek Old Testament, it points to one person. It started with one person. It ends with one person. It involves one one person, and it will continuously be about one person, and that is Jesus Christ. And that's why, when you research this stuff, if you're just researching for the sake of researching, and you're spending like you know, like Jeff said, you know, hours upon hours upon hours just digging through the weeds, then it's worthless. Then that that's not the point of this episode, or what we're doing. The point of all this is to, to lead you back to God, or if you're there with God, to give you a, a strengthening of your faith, but to also understand that this is all about Jesus Christ. Look at the story we just talked about today. That's the, don't mix the divine with the profane, the that which is of God with that which is base, because it just leads to wickedness. Stay faithful to the covenant relationship of God. And if you stake faithful to the covenant relationship of God and the, and, the, and the law of God or the gospel of God today, uh, then you will be called the sons and daughters of God. And guess what? You won't have to be fallen. You won't have to be a Nephilim. You will have a Savior that will have taken on your sins, forgiven you of your sins, and will make you, what does the scripture say, Jeff? New creations in Christ. Yep. That's it. Yep. And uh, we do think you guys are really going to enjoy the next three episodes of the Bible Dig that are our flood episodes and Noah and all that and lots of stuff there. Uh, so big that we did have to break it up into three episodes. We think you guys will really enjoy it and we will see you next time. For more info on the Bible Dig Godcast, please visit the Bible Dig Facebook page where you'll discover a treasure trove of photos, the latest archaeology finds, and our monthly Bible study. And remember, when in doubt, just get diggy with it. Yeah, it'll be like like big like the Tower of Babel. There you go. <laughs> yeah, giant, huge. Yeah, giant. Huge. Giant. Huge. You know, or the full moon, they come out and whoo, you know, the whole thing. Uh, and, uh, Hold on. Sorry. We'll edit that part out. So, that's it. We can stop. Full cool stuff.